Hey, what's up? This is the Flyover Libertarian Podcast with two unimportant people from an unimportant place give you the opinion that you didn't ask for. I'm IO Cap, and this week I'm flying solo without Earl Rothbard. Last podcast, he got to do most of the talking since I know diddly squat about Bitcoin. And instead, I'm going to be doing uh, the interviewing because I've got my friend Isaac here. I don't even know what to call you because you've gone through so many Twitter handles. That like I never remember which one you're on. <laughs> yeah, they're you know what Isaac is just fine because at this point it's just fine. <laughs> I mean, the only reason I'm not going by my first name now is because of uh, uh, an unfortunate and gross incident on Twitter. <laughs> so I would yeah. normally be using my first name anyway, and I would probably just stick with that. But uh, I uh, don't really want to uh, out myself. Unfortunate and gross, you know, you really didn't have to say that part. You could have just said an incident on Twitter. That's kind of assumed that it's unfortunate and gross. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so before we, get, before we get to the conversation, I wanted to let you all know, we were featured recently on the podcast This Week in Liberpods. We got a message from the, the, the host maybe a week before it came out or partial week before it came out. And it kind of caught us both by surprise. We had no idea that we were on the radar of anyone. We thought we only had like three listeners. And I guess one of them has another podcast. So uh, that was a pretty big honor and uh, go check them out this week at Liber- in liver pods. We will include them on the show notes on flyover.page slash episodes. Go find episode six and you'll find a link to that podcast. Go check them out and go follow them. They're doing a good work. I say as one of the people being promoted by them, it's a, it's a good work to promote libertarian podcasts, um, especially small ones like ours. So we greatly appreciate it. Go, go support them. Um, so, Isaac, hello. tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, yeah, um, as has been said, my name is Isaac. Uh, I am a first-year college student um, at Redacted. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I'm a computer science and mathematics double major. Uh, Those have been passions of mine for a long time. Um, And only as of recently have I um, really become someone who thinks a lot about politics. I've always had political opinions as far back as I can remember, Um, especially towards the beginning of high school. So I uh, started out kind of just a you know, typical statist conservative type didn't really, I just kind of like my politics were my parents' politics. Um, and I actually, through a high school friend, um, kind of was introduced into like podcasts and stuff like that and started listening. And we both kind of, uh, throughout the course of four years became more and more libertarian. And after a while I passed him, um, and became more libertarian than he was. Um, and finally, he came along, and now he's uh, he's finally an ANCAP, just like uh, me. But, um, so yeah, that's kind of where I am. I've been um, anti-state for, uh, let's see, 2020, about two years now. Okay. Um, but I went through a pretty uneducated phase where I said a bunch of stupid stuff before I actually knew what I was talking about. Don't we all? Oh yeah. You know, I think it's funny because your 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 journey sounds a lot like mine, except mine was a little bit later. Oh yeah. You know, like I was, 
I was a, I was a neocon well into college, and uh, and then uh, I was through thoughtful conversations with actually with some progressives. Oh wow! Um, who back then were pretending to be civil libertarians mm-hmm. um, because that's the way that they could go after George W. Bush. <laughs> And through that, they made me think about some things that I really just couldn't get past. And eventually I became uh, somewhat libertarian. And it was, it was the same sort of thing as that. I actually had a friend who kind of dove in to libertarianism before me. And then I, I asked him a bunch of questions and he gave me some info. And I and I, I think he probably wouldn't be uh, offended to say that, yeah, I went further than him too. Um, I just kind of, because I'm, I'm not a guy who, I'm a guy who I'm either all in or I'm not in at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I there, There's not a lot of things that I have moderate opinions on. Yeah. I either don't care, or I'm super in, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. I Funny thing is, I tried to do that with uh, Minarchy for, you know, the six-month Minarchist period. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I tried to make it like its own thing where I could somehow claim it was the all in libertarianism. And I think for a little while, I even tried to claim that ANCAP wasn't even meaningfully libertarian because I wanted that term for myself. Um, but I, I grew out of it <laughs> finally. Um, but uh, like, unfortunately, instead of going straight into, um, you know, really reading the Austrians and, um, Having informed opinions, I just really kind of went crazy and yeah. spouting off nonsense at first until I finally actually figured out really? um, that there's a political theory behind this. Yeah, because when I first started using the term anarchist, I I could not tell you who Rothbard was. I had no idea about the Austrian School of Economics. Um, so so yeah, so like. This means that even in my minarchist period, I didn't even know who, like, Ron Paul or Rothbard were. Like, Mm -hmm. it was kind of just a position I held to and tried to argue for it, you know. But I think it was really mostly about labels at that point. And it was only after I had uh, been identifying as an anarchist for maybe a month that I finally started learning about Rothbard. and to this day, I still haven't read a full work of Rothbard or Hoppe, but I've been around people who are really well educated on both of them, um, and so I pretty much have absorbed <laughs> a ton of Rothbard and Hoppe from them, um, and you know stuff from Ron Paul too. But um, I, I'm pretty well acquainted with their thought, and I am going to try to dive into. Um, one of Hoppe's economic works soon here. Well, you know what someone told me to do is that I should start with Rothbard, then go to Mises, then finish with Hoppe. Like that's what that's what someone interesting someone told me to to do. He's because he said they said that basically you know Rothbard does a lot of his own stuff and there's a lot of really interesting stuff and in some ways he he does build on Mises, mm-hmm. but he's also an amazing expositor of Mises. And so then you get you get through Rothbard, and mm-hmm. then you feel like you've got a good idea. Then it's kind of like you, you've got a lot of Rothbard's depth, and then you kind of add Mises into that. So all the things that Rothbard explained, you get the original context mm-hmm. and things like that. And then you're ready for Hoppe, because Hoppe is just so stinking smart. And he, he really is building beautifully on the Rothbardian tradition, mm-hmm. but he is a philosopher. Oh yeah, and everything that that means, and so he's just a 
just a hardcore thing. And that's really where I think there's a lot of misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. um, is that there's a lot of there's a lot of internet hoppians. Yeah. Who I maybe don't even get like maybe don't even get Hoppa mm -hmm. at all. Oh yeah. And and then unfortunately that gets to become like people judge Hoppa on some of the hoppians and then people are like yeah i'm never gonna give hoppa a chance but but he's, he's yeah he's a really smart guy yeah and, and some people wouldn't give him a chance anyway because he's uh because he's very unabashedly rightist uh-huh yeah oh that's probably one of the big things is that a lot of the socially center or milk toast libertarians you, you mentioned hoppa and they're like oh that guy's like a right wing you know he's probably like fascist or something mm -hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I can understand like some of the internet hoppians are statists, but it's not like any of the sort of people I hang around. Like if you actually know Hoppa and believe what he says, you're not going to end up a statist. Um, but if you misunderstand what he says, as lots of people do, you could very easily end up a statist. If you hear just nothing but physical removal and helicopter jokes all the time, well, of course you're going to probably think Hoppa's a statist. Yeah. But those are just jokes. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, I was talking to, um, I was actually, talk I know, the. I was talking to the, maybe I shouldn't talk about this. I was talking to a particular uh, Twitter person, <laughs> personality that I've been following. <laughs> and um, I was talking to them in, in, in uh, on Twitter and they were talking about how they had gotten some flack for some of the jokes that they've been making and uh, about helicopters. And there's like, my gosh, like there's something really frustrating about even libertarians who are ostensibly in some sense misesian or rothbardian who are like do you really not get that these are jokes like i don't actually mm -hmm. want to throw communists outside of out of helicopters uh-huh like this yeah. is this is a joke we're we're all memeing here it's even worse when it's a meme page uh, uh -huh. that will not be named that is playing this sort of uh oh look you believe the jokes that these guys are making you're a meme page bro yeah this is what we do yeah. we make these stupid jokes right and, and hopefully along the way we make some people think about it yeah about stuff like like do i really think that i do i really want to go out and start killing communists no i actually have a friend from high school as a communist i'm not gonna go kill him but it does make people think on the way hopefully we can get them to think you know why is communism so bad Mm -hmm. why is this something that that is so terrible why why did pinochet view them as such a terrible enemy like is it just that they've unfortunately been associated with these great terrible uh authoritarianism and these terrible examples of famine and starvation or is there something actually inherently in the view that is violent exactly and i I don't think I need to convince you that that's exactly what it is. Yeah. There's something inherently violent about mm -hmm. it. And you and as a libertarian, and this is really what Hoppe gets at, is that libertarians cannot be um we, we can't tolerate an inherently coercive ideology. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what makes us libertarians. Yeah. Um and it's it's precisely what people don't get is exactly what you're saying is like how bad communism is. Because you think, okay, well, communism, it, it just doesn't turn out very well. Or, um, you know, maybe it's what I heard from um, middle school especially was, well, it sounds nice on paper, but then it really just doesn't work out. Um, <laughs> Until you read Mises, then you're like, it doesn't even sound good on paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but when you, like, really start to look at communist rhetoric 
and how they talk about literally like killing landlords and um just mass acts of murder and um violent revolution and and all these just sick things you start to see okay i can understand why if you had a lot of people saying these same things and these were like the communists that you knew in your society these are very violent people like these aren't just you know um like your liberal or conservative online who you know in a sense they're coercive because you know they they're, they're statists and they want the state to implement their you know policies um at the expense of others but they're not just like that sort of normie statist they are extremely pro-violence individuals um with very very few exceptions i followed a guy for a while who was a he's like he's a catholic um but he kind of associates with some left-wing um ideas um I don't think that necessarily precludes him from being a Christian, but anyway, he um, was like a pacifist communist for a while, where he did not advocate any violence, but communism as the sort of end goal was what he wanted. And I think you kind of have to live in a state of cognitive dissonance um, if that's your viewpoint, because communism really does take mass coercion to, um, to implement. Um, or maybe not like maybe even just like I, I guess I could get that and I'm willing to entertain that, even that possibility of like, no, really what we just want is a world in which people work together. Mm-hmm. Um which I guess what makes me a rightist and a conservative at uh, conservative libertarian is that I just do not have that kind of optimism in the human nature. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and we're, we're both Christians here. So this side of Christ's return, I don't have that kind of optimism about, about human nature. Right. Yeah. I think people are going to grasp and seek to seize. And this is kind of where, um, like, it's not that I just love rich, uh, greedy people. It's that I acknowledge the existence of greed. And I see what do, does communism survive greed? I don't, I don't think it can. Oh, absolutely not. But capitalism can, and in fact, can work in spite of it, mm-hmm. or even um, aim it in a direction that, in spite of itself, does build up the society that it's, it's yeah, live, it's, it's receiving from. Right. Um, and, and I totally agree with that, that um, capitalism can take a bad force that's present in certain humans more than others. Um, and when you have capitalism, that directs their greed to actually end up doing good. Um, and it can still end up in doing some bad things. I'm not saying that exploitation never, ever happens under yeah, right. a free market system. It's still possible. Absolutely. But under a communist system, it, it, it's inevitable that the greedy people, not all of them, but the greedy people who have positions of power are going to be able to you know have their way like you're just you're just deciding that okay we're gonna have a couple of greedy people who now have a ton of power like and get to make decisions about the economy um and i mean just look at stalin like what happened with all that he he took out like a ton of people in his country um i I think what's the figure like 27 million or something and not only did he 
mass murder citizens, but he also killed people in his own regime and replaced them and would like make them disappear in photos of them that exist. Like mm-hmm. he was a it, it, communism doesn't eliminate greed. And I can understand when some people talk about how capitalism, you know, um, foments greed. I, I don't entirely disagree with that. I'm not ever going to say that um, capitalism can't allow a person's greed to increase. But I mean, like I said, you have to then go look and say, okay, well, would communism stop that? Would, if they were in the same position that they're in, in a communist society, what would change, right? Would they really have any less or do any less harm? Um, And so it's just ridiculous thinking. It's trying to take um, a force that is independent of your external circumstances for the most part and pretend like it's a result of the external system. It's just ridiculous. And of course, you know, there is a way that communism can stamp out greed. It's that if uh, if you have nothing, you can't become greedy. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, we've been talking a little bit about this, but you, um, you know, I, I keep, I'm talking about how I have these rightist sympathies, and I'm talking about it as something separate, I guess, from my libertarianism. But you, uh, we, 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 uh, hooked up and talk a little bit before um before going on about some topics you want to discuss and you're willing to go further on this point that you um at least in your message you sent to me are willing to say that libertarianism is inherently right wing ah yes and and so we should we should fight leftist movements within the movement so so tell me about this absolutely so um i definitely would assert that libertarianism properly understood is inherently right-wing um and this mostly comes from the understanding that being right-wing is about supporting proper hierarchies in society um whereas leftism or egalitarianism is aimed towards eliminating hierarchy as much as possible now usually they say unjust hierarchies but you ask them well what's an unjust hierarchy and they'll basically say all kinds of stuff about capitalism is a bad hierarchy the family is a bad hierarchy so they'll basically tell you everything conservatives value is a bad hierarchy that needs to be destroyed um and now that doesn't apply to everyone who would call themselves um like a left libertarian but all left libertarians support the minimization of certain hierarchies that are in fact a result of the free market and a result of um liberty really um so in the end i think that leftist ideas or um the supposed left libertarian idea of free market socialism is just a pipe dream it doesn't make sense it's a contradiction in terms because if you have liberty if you have the right to free association if you have the right to voluntary transactions economically speaking you're going to get a right-wing system. You're going to get a system of properly ordered hierarchy in society. Now, of course, originally, right-wing ideology did not have much to do with liberty in the beginning, you know, when that term was first being formulated, but it was more focused on, you know, um, because it comes from the right-wing of French Parliament who wanted to maintain kind of the aristocratic uh, order or monarchic. I don't remember exactly what. Yeah. Which of those? But um, 
they, they wanted to maintain the hierarchy. So it, it originated in a statist context. Our boy Bastiat was sitting on the left. Right, exactly. Um, however, the reason I, I argue we, sh- we should maintain the label of right wing is because we still do want to maintain those hierarchies. Now, we don't want to maintain the exact same set of hierarchies that they did. We don't want a sort of statist system that is imposed on natural hierarchies. We want natural order, um, as uh, some of my Hoppian friends would say, is we want to have a return to hierarchies that naturally emerge, and we want them to be you know, part of this sort of private property order, this, this order that's based, or the social order that is very much based on the institution of private property and the protection thereof. Like, not just, oh, I respect the private property, but using force to protect people's property and such. That creates a system of hierarchy. Um, and the reason that is is because, I mean, it's just natural, right? If you let a bunch of people kind of do their own thing, you have natural elites that rise to the top naturally, and you have people who are maybe less capable of handling large groups of people or large uh, economic situations like CEOs are capable of doing. And they handle lower-level jobs. Not to say that they're less, but just that they shouldn't be at a higher place in the hierarchy where they're managing a greater group of people. So this sort of natural order would emerge. And that's, that's why the phrase natural order is used because it literally is a natural ordering of things. Um, and so the question is, well, if we support hierarchies like that, natural hierarchies, then why do we oppose the state? And, and the answer is really that it's an unnatural hierarchy and that it distorts good natural orders and good natural hierarchy. Um, as we see in our society today, it's done ev- everything to undermine the natural order um, of the market, and it's beginning to try to erode the natural order of the family. In fact, I mean, that's an understatement. It's been doing that for a little while now, for, for years, decades even. And I, I suppose somebody would, be, would probably want receipts for that, and I would just point them to the way the welfare state is constructed um, to specifically favor non-family um, forms of organization, um, which has, by the way, as a side note, has totally destroyed um, the black community in particular. Yes. And so, so yeah, really, it, it's the enemy of natural hierarchy. It's the enemy of natural order. And so that's why we oppose it, because we support that natural order and that natural hierarchy, which is very much a right-wing value. And I would say, you know, like, when I say, like, I'm a rightist or I'm a conservative, that does not mean that I am endorsing everything that calls itself right-wing or conservative. In in even as, when I say I'm a libertarian, I'm certainly not endorsing everything that calls itself libertarianism. Right. And so there's, there's a point at which we say, yeah, we, we must be right-wing, but we don't need to be every kind of right-wing. Exactly. Like, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's just, like, um, it's like this problem, like you were talking about how when when you first come into a lot when a lot of people come, first come into libertarianism, there's this general vague sense of anti-authoritarianism, right? Mm-hmm. You just come in and you've got this vague sense of what it means to be a libertarian. Because really until you've sat in the in in a I guess you could say, until you've sat in the libertarian room for a while, you're not hearing all the conversations going on in there. Mm-hmm. It's the same way with with the right wing. Like 
until you've sat in the right wing for long enough, you don't see, well, yeah, there are some people who what they want to conserve is a super hierarchical, a, a violent hierarchical system. Like they want to preserve the monarchy or they want to preserve um, the, the uh, Republican system um, or, or there's, you know, honestly, there's a point where, you know, um, Michael Malice's quote comes in where there's a lot of people, what they want to conserve is progressivism five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It oh, always depends. And that's time. why, you know, it's so funny that like, as the left sheds people, they come over to the right. It's because they want to conserve something. Mm -hmm. And that is what the left was a few years ago. Right. But they're not really. And that's why there's sort of a danger in the way the right does just sort of take every cast off. Um, you you want to take them in, but then say, and also see, this is why we were saying this back then to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's a point at which we do have to listen to the old conservatives. Mm -hmm. um, even though I might say, you know, some of them are obviously trying to preserve a status system. And I want to say back to them, well, this is inherently violent and this is not going to do what you think it's going to do. But there's some things that the old conservatives would say of like, um, you know, any change comes with unintended consequences, and we should be aware of that whenever we try to do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a wise caution that the right can give us. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely something that uh, I, I've seen in the right over the last couple of years. Is it's when somebody calls themselves a conservative, you you really just can't know what that means. Um, it could mean everything. It, it could mean anything from like a borderline alt-right um, sort of socialism works if you have just white people type mm -hmm. to somebody who's like basically the five years ago leftist. Um, I mean, I know when I was a when I would have called myself a conservative, if you asked me things about like, what do you think about this era from the progressive uh, or sorry, this policy from the progressive era, I would have been like, oh, that sounds nice, you know. Um, I, I would have been like, oh, yeah, well, I guess we need that. And I would have been like, oh, well, the free market is good, but let's have all this regulation. And I, I would have sounded just like a progressive era type person, very much not um, anti-egalitarian or pro-market hierarchy. It, 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 was, it was exactly that sort of milk toast middle of the road not even really right wing in a lot of ways it's said a lot and it's maybe um exaggerated a little bit but there is a a, a, a serious argument to be made for the fact that neoconservatism is probably more trotskyite than it is kirkian you know oh yeah oh big time and people will ask well what's what's your proof for that because i hear it all the time and you you call somebody like um like charlie kirk communist or something <laughs> um not not necessarily just him in particular, but like George Bush, definitely. Um, and you, and people say, "What are you talking about?" Like, uh, or you get some of these uh, people on Twitter, um, and I know a couple of particularly bad examples where they're just like they, they self-identify as neocons, and they're like, "I'm anti-communist." And I'm like, no, you literally, basically, are a communist in in a meaningful sense. And people say, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And we just say, well, look at what Trotsky said about war and the struggle for democracy. Like, he wanted this worldwide 
constant struggle for democracy until, you know, the whole world is basically converted to this sort of democratic system that is a step along the path to communism. And what do you hear from neoconservatives every time you question our intervention in the Middle East? Well, it's just the struggle for freedom and democracy, bro. Mm -hmm. Same rhetoric. It's this sort of left-wing messianism that um, Thomas Sowell would talk about, you know, that the messianic vision of the left and really what's, what's weird is that I thought, I don't even think soul would see the fact that he's applying that same, because I think he's somewhat inter- oh, yeah. pro interventionist himself that he probably it's weird that he probably wouldn't see that he himself has that sort of messianic messianic tendency when it comes to, well, we had to free Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they're just so, so blind to what they're doing. Um, they see these, see all these things and they they hear all the the what the corporate media is telling them about well here's reasons we need to go and basically kill a bunch of people and break a bunch of things in this other country and people just drink it like they like kool-aid you know they take it all in they don't really question it they just say oh well look at what these reporters said you know guess we really do need to go intervene there well no we don't you're you're just yeah right you're just spouting off the establishment line the establishment line is a lie it's an outright lie and the only reason it's being told is to serve their ends to do what you know they want to do they want to invade iraq so what are they going to do oh well they got weapons of mass destruction which is an insane lie based off of Based off a of truth, right? It's not entirely false that there were no weapons, but they were weapons that were given to them by the U.S. They were old and basically rotting away in some bunker somewhere, and they weren't even thinking of using them. And like I said, they were given to them by the U.S. to fight who we were fighting at the time. And so they just will twist all this information and lie us into these these wars and and the conservatives are. All around the country, I've talked to people on Twitter who call themselves conservatives, and they'll just say, well, we support the military. And so we, and they'll maybe try to cop out, like, well, I guess I don't necessarily support everything I do, but I support the troops. Well, if you're going to unconditionally support the troops like that, you're just saying you support everything they do. And and every, every time you criticize what they're doing, it's treated as a personal attack on every single member of the military. And it's just not true. It's just not true that we're attacking all veterans. I have military people in my family, a very big portion of them on, on one side of my family. And um, I don't hate any of them. I don't hate my, I don't hate any of my uncles who were, um, who were in the air force. I love them very much. Um, but that doesn't mean I think that the organization they were a part of was doing a good thing um, in their various conflicts in the Middle East. It's, it's just ridiculous, and it's definitely little more than an attempt to um, try to make the anti-war position seem absurd or uh, anti-American or um, unpatriotic, which, I mean, I guess if in... If, questioning the state or questioning the government is unpatriotic then then i guess i am but the original usage of the word patriot is kind of rooted in anti-statism and um questioning the questioning the government really so 
I, I don't even really see how you can make that connection. Even in the sense of like, you know, uh, you know, my, my Twitter, uh, pinned tweet, uh, I love America. There's nowhere else I'd rather live. There's nothing wrong with America that abolishing the United States wouldn't fix. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's one of my favorite tweets. Um, because it really expresses what I like. And, and that leads me, um, to a different discussion, which we'll probably just dis- discuss a little later with, uh, one of the topics we got, but separating nation and state. Um, there's a difference between the nation and the state. And it's good to love your nation, to love the culture you have, to love the people around you, and to love your neighbor. But it's not a good thing to love the state. And the the thing that we've been taught, you know, in public schools and um, in just general civil society is state is responsible for the nation, and the, the, the nation depends on the state. And in reality, it's really just the other way around. The, the state is a parasite on the nation. The state undermines the very concept of nation in many ways. And one of those ways is, once again, something we'll be talking about uh, in a little while. Um, but no, it, it really does things to destroy natural nations and culture. So I, I really think that one of the, um, the things we have to do as libertarians introduce people to this idea that there is a difference between the nation and the state absolutely right there with you and that i'll add was something that um when i was going through my kind of uh unserious stage or my um uneducated phase or my you know just kind of blind phase at the beginning whatever you'll call it um is something that i i I tried to do as well i i tried to bind the concept of nation and state and tried to condemn the concept of the nation by condemning the state. And after a while, once I kind of got pulled back into a place of right-wing sanity, I realized, no, the nation is a good thing. I should be trying to preserve this and preserve culture and preserve um, social coherence um, and, and not destroy it. Because the reason, one of the reasons I should be against the state is because it undermines it. So, not only do we have to kind of introduce this to, as a concept to civil society, is the separation between nation and state, but we also really have to do work deprogramming this idea among libertarians, because it definitely seems to be a concept among libertarians. You start talking about the nation, and they start screeching to you about collectivism, and you're just being basically a communist. And, and it's like, no. One way I describe myself is that I am politically individualist and socially communitarian. There is a communitarianism about humanity that is a very good thing, and it's a gift from God. But that doesn't mean that we turn to collectivist politics. And on the other hand, um, we don't want to give up um, our social coherence and turn to this sort of individualistic, atomized culture, which I think we actually have the have that right now we have social policy in government we have this sort of political collectivism and philosophical individualism you know dividing society into individual people go and chase your dreams do what pleases you um so we literally have it flipped we have this systematic undermining of individual rights but at the same time this sort of apotheosis of um the individual culturally speaking 
and that's why we are where we are today. I mean, it's it's kind of that whole like uh, it, it's it's some somewhat of a, an irony that I've noticed as well is that um, collectivism politically creates atomism socially. Like there's when when um, when your main way of being provided for is getting a, a check cut to you from the government, then you have no reason to work with your neighbor because your neighbor doesn't need to uh-huh. help you uh, help you through the hard and lean times. You don't need to to lean on your neighbors or, or, or as I've often seen, you become just a leech off of everyone and you're not actually supporting anyone. Uh There's no give and take. There's only take, you know, well, we're going to bring this episode to a close, but Isaac and I were not done talking and I'm telling you, it got even more interesting. So come back next episode as I continue my conversation with Isaac. I'm Ioan Cap, and this has been the flyover libertarian podcast.